murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. Stories on this true law stories. Uh, we're talking about the weird. It's actually regulated by the FDA. I, I did not know that before this. Um, how how to? I didn't know this either. Like it's crazy. Uh, and how one toy motorcycle violated three different agencies and almost landed a schmuck in jail. And I think that um, Jennifer's hashtag should be schmucks. <laughs> Don't be a schmuck. <laughs> Jennifer Diaz from Diaz Trade Law. Thanks for being on True Law Stories. Thank you. I call them innocent schmucks, Ian. They never have the intent to be the schmuck. They just happen to be the schmuck for not doing their homework on time. Had they contacted the right help at the right time, they wouldn't have been a schmuck. So, you know, how not to be a schmuck when importing is what this should be called. When importing. Uh, but before we get started, of course, it's brought to you story.com. One of the best ways to promote your product, your brand, is through your client stories, customer stories. Go to videocasestory.com. Before we get into these stories, Explain to everyone what trade law is, in case they're not familiar. Sure. In our world, it's customs and trade law because it could mean a thousand different things. And what we focus on is anyone who wants to import or export anything. And normally, you pay a lawyer when you're in buku trouble because what a surprise. When do people want to pay me? I wish when they wanted to start a new business, but I dare you, any listener, to review any product in your hand and to read a country of origin label and tell me where it was made. And I want you to tell me how many things you see around that are made in the U.S. Fortunately, I mean, it, it is what it is. Not many are made in the United States. When I look, okay, perfect. I found one. So one of the lotions we use made in the U.S. Perfect. So a perfect example, if somebody wants to make something in the U.S. and label it appropriately and then export it to Canada, Mexico, the Caribbean, wherever, Latin America, then they would come to us for assistance in doing so properly. Same thing when you're trying to import anything from sunglasses to cosmetics to all sorts of items. Normally, people come to me saying, oh, no, I screwed up. I screwed up big. And I think customs is on to me. Or customs has my goods and they're holding them hostage and I am so pissed off and I need you to help me yesterday because my customer already paid for the goods and I'm freaking out. My supplier already took my money and I'm still freaking out and I'm out a whole lot of money and I've got nothing to do here. So to boil it down, anything that you utilize on a day-to-day -day basis, even if it's made in the U.S., the likelihood is some input, some raw material is imported making your final total good it's it's rare where one final good is made in one country with all the raw material components made in that same country it's, it doesn't happen anymore it's not the way the world works so my job is to help somebody figure out how to import into the u.s or export from the u.s properly is there a license is there a permit is what are the requirements do i have labeling requirements what is it that i have to do to import my alcohol to import my toy to import my candy to import any item there are 47 government agencies in 47 that regulate imports and exports and sometimes you can have five agencies regulating one product which gets nuts but on a day-to-day -day, what normally happens is we get the oh no i'm in buku trouble and i need you to help me yesterday i have one day to respond to this notice that I got 28 days ago because when's the best time to give your lawyer a notice? 
28 days later when it's due the next day. Because <laughs> why not, right? Because then you... So we get a whole lot of people that say, I'm not sure I did the right thing because where I'm from in South Florida, we're the hotbed of small businesses. And who makes the rules? Who makes the laws? Who helps implement? Who helps all the juicy rules that go on? It's the big guys. The small guys, they don't keep up with the way that they really should. They have a really cool idea. They get ecstatic about sales. This is going to be a hit on Alibaba or Amazon. It's just going to be the next big thing. I know it. And it may be. And we see a lot of people that are small that grow either way too quickly and don't think about compliance or somebody who gets stuck in the middle or somebody who's small and just gets stuck. So it stinks, but we've got a lot of stories of thankfully success stories of companies growing with us where they started out in trouble and then we helped them. And we have some stories where we just talk people out of over-regulated industry that they don't have the resources to be in, which we see both ends of the spectrum. But we've got all sorts of examples that I'm happy to share with you of somebody I talked out of business after his first importation ended in two years worth of dealing with me and penalties and seizures from one importation. And people who come to me saying, um, what do you mean my medical my what? Wait, wait, sunglasses or a medical device and they need a drop ball certification? Like, what the hell does any of that mean? And we get all these crazy products that, you know, you would think alcohol is regulated, right? You have three federal agencies for alcohol. Makes sense. It's alcohol. A firearm regulated. Fine. Sunglasses? Yeah. Or an FDA regulated product? When we think about FDA, people think typically about vaccines or drugs, but you don't necessarily think about tobacco, cosmetics, dietary supplements, food products. I mean, you should think about food, I would hope, but but you definitely don't think about sunglasses. It's one of those things where we've had somebody who came to us where they did sunglasses for an animal, funny enough. And it doesn't matter if the sunglasses are for a human or for animal use, either way. So everybody's seen sunglasses for dogs, cats, right? Really cool, fun products. But those products absolutely need FDA registration. Now, here's the fun part, right? So FDA, a gazillion years ago, they used to not charge importers to be a medical device establishment. So now FDA charges a fee that goes up every year. Right now, it's over $5,500, six grand, like it's a lot of money for a small business, right? And that's per year. Now here's the fun part, right? Every year it's renewable and it starts renewing in October. So if somebody comes to me in September, I ask them how bad they really need the item because maybe they want to wait till October to pay that. Because now here's the fun part. You, the importer, you've got to pay your almost six grand. The manufacturer has to also pay the six grand fee. And then if the manufacturer is not the same as the exporter, they also have to pay a fee to register with the FDA. That's only the registration. Then the manufacturer also needs to do a test. How many times have your sunglasses fallen and your sunglasses shatter in a gazillion pieces? You would hope none, right? And that's because of the drop ball certification. So if you're wearing sunglasses and they fall to the floor, they don't break into 35,000 pieces shattering all over the place, you can thank the drop ball certification for that. Because the last thing we want are shards of glass getting into our eye. That would suck for anybody. So when it comes to 
sunglasses, they're a class one medical device. So if another fun fact, medical devices are broken up into three classes, class one, least regulated, class four, defibrillator, something that'll kill you if you use it the wrong way. Medical devices, thank God, they're not going to kill you. They may scratch your eye or hurt you in some screwed up way if they're not properly, you know, tested and properly registered and go through the proper quality system regulations. But stuff you don't think of. So how many, what, when do people contact me? When they didn't register, they didn't do the test and their sunglasses are on hold by the FDA because customs alerted the FDA. FDA says, wait a minute, where's my registration? Where's my test? And it doesn't exist. And then you've got to get it the hell out of the United States because you can't sell it if you don't have those things in place. Tell me about like, I mean, is there one time, what's the craziest unregulated sunglass story that's happened to you? <laughs> We've got some really cool sunglasses where, you know, it could be that there's a cool device inside of the sunglass or something attached to the sunglass or something along those lines. But at the end of the day, thankfully, all of our crazy sunglass stories are successful because somebody's smart enough to call us when they're having this issue because I can get just, I mean, realistically, we wear our superhero capes for most days and we make all sorts of crazy miracles happen in the import space because it depends on when I'm called. In a perfect instance, I'm called before they want to import. In a normal instance, I'm called because there's trouble at the border and there's an issue. But in reality, most of my sunglass stories, which we have a lot of them, they wind up being successful because in about one to two weeks, I can get a product to be compliant as long as you already have your drop ball certification in place. I can get you registered. I can get your product listed. I can get everything to go smoothly with the FDA. So normally, our crazy stories turn into success stories when we're called in time. That with the FDA. They just don't because most people, they just don't do their homework. So on our website, Diaz Trade Law, we have a top 10 tips when importing that I beg people to read because the first thing on my top 10 tips is who regulates me? And you need to know who regulates you because there are so many agencies that potentially can. And everyone who imports or exports always has to deal with U.S. Customs. So most if you pick up any item and it doesn't say where it was made and it was made outside of the U.S., you have a customs violation. Customs wants to see those. Report it. It's an e-allegation public platform. Report anything you don't see. If it's made in the United States, you don't have to report it. But the bottom line is most people, it's just lack of awareness because this isn't what they do. They don't eat, breathe, and sleep this for a living. And there's a reason I don't import because it's too highly regulated. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be doing it. Importers popping up all over the place and drop shipping them and all of that stuff. Um, and yeah. The e-commerce world is a whole new world. And how many of us have awesome online accounts and love pushing a button and getting a product yeah. delivered to our house in the next day? I mean, come on. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Everybody's guilty. We love the convenience of that. So there are new rules. Let me ask you this. This is a fun one because there's a new rule for forced labor compliance, right? So every year there are millions, unfortunately, 50 million or so plus people in a forced labor type situation. Nobody ever wants to hear this or think about this. It's horrible. But what customs answer to this is to try to eradicate forced labor within supply chains is to tell you, an importer, let's pretend you're importing cotton shirts. It's up to you to know the source of the cotton thread in your final shirt. 
you trace your supply chain that way. I dare you. Let me know how that goes for you. So every, I want everyone to hear this. The next time you're on Amazon buying a cotton t-shirt, I want you to ask where the cotton bale, where the cotton thread is from. And you tell me how fast that supplier gets back to you telling you exactly where that cotton thread is. Let me know how that goes. Or tell you. You're going to tell a random customer online, but it's your obligation to know that and to not buy from a source that's known to have made cotton from the use of forced or child labor, which is, I mean, nobody wants forced labor within their supply chain, but the, the answer to how this is currently regulated and the onus on importers is, is a, an interesting one. Something to think about too. And I mean, I think it's great because they should, we, people should know where things come from. Uh, but it, they, because it get us stuff cheap. <laughs> right. And when's the last time anybody asked questions before they purchase from an Amazon or Alibaba seller? What do you know about who you're giving money to or who you're buying from? And what can you know about them? I mean, how many questions can you ask on the platform buying a product before they say, I don't want to sell to you? Of doing this the wrong way. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the sunglasses for a second. The consequence there is I paid my supplier for sunglasses and I don't pay for the registration. I don't pay for the FDA compliance element. Then I can't import my sunglasses. So your money to your supplier is done. Your Any sales that you've got, you're screwed in that element. And then the government, the U.S. government, the FDA specifically, will say, you can't bring those into the U.S. Sorry, buddy. So then you'd have to export or destroy the goods. And if you don't export or destroy within your 90 days, then they can issue you a $50,000 liquidated damages claim. Basically, you're breaching your customs bond by not following FDA rules. So imagine, just for sunglasses, we've seen instances where people wind up with a $50,000 liquidated damages claim on top of not being able to import or sell the sunglasses. So this adds up quickly, and that's a minuscule issue. Then you talk about ginormous issues where people lose their ability to conduct business and they have to shut down is if somebody doesn't do their homework and they try to import wooden bedroom furniture from China and they don't realize that it's subject to anti-dumping and countervailing duties and next thing you know they're out of business I mean we've had stories where somebody imported ribbon and they didn't know that the ribbon was subject to anti-dumping or countervailing duties and next thing you know they owe customs million bucks and they're a tiny business they can't afford it and they have to shut down so not doing your homework could cost you your business and my favorite story is somebody who imported a cute little toy motorcycle and the toy motorcycle had little handlebars that could pop right off and it was a toy for kids and inside the toy was candy right so now and then of course they had cool logos on the toy because why not right so now you have three violations with three separate agencies, and this is a first importation for my client, okay? Imagine, good times. So FDA is really pissed off because you wouldn't think this, but every color additive in a food product has to come from an approved source. Otherwise, you have no ability to use a color additive. So your F, D, and C number, blah, 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 is an approved color source. Otherwise, you can't use it. And that's so that our food is safe to consume. Makes sense, right? Consumer Product Safety Commission wants to make sure kids aren't choking on a freaking toy. Also makes sense, right? Hoverboards are blowing up. We had those cases. So I can, we have pictures and we've got actual hoverboards that had the batteries that blew up. Why? Because they were glued together because somebody thought that was a good idea. So in this instance, I mean, whether it's lead, whether it's a 
handlebar that pops off and presents a choking hazard. This is where Consumer Product Safety Commission exists. Like we just represented somebody with bicycles and they were like, oh, I need CPSC. Yeah, you do. CPSC pops up all over the place and it doesn't just have to be for children's items, but children's items is most popular for CPSC compliance that people don't realize they have to do testing in advance of importation or you can't import it. And then on top of that, this poor schmuck with the motorcycle also had a logo on his motorcycle that he had no authorization to utilize before importing. So now Customs is seizing the motorcycle for, in, for unauthorized use of a trademark that was protected by Customs as well, which is another amazing story that I not enough people know because I'm sure a lot of your viewers have their own brands and know nothing about how to protect their brand with U.S. Customs watching and policing at the border. So then he's got a seizure and thereafter a penalty because the coolest part about protecting a brand with customs is customs will police your brand at 328 ports of entry. And then if you, Ian, you try to screw with my DTL brand and I have that DTL brand not only registered with USPTO, but I also record it with customs, then customs will seize your products. They'll notify me so I can separately send you a cease and desist. They'll give me all your juicy intel. They'll also tell me who your manufacturer is so I can go to them too. And then customs will also issue you a penalty for the value as if they were legit. Imagine that for Gucci. So we've got sexy stories there. I've got stories galore with schmucks ordering Gucci and Cartier and all sorts of fancy things from their living room, selling them on Insta because they're extra cool with their side hustle. And next thing you know, they get a million dollar penalty from customs. And they're like, oh, I threw out all the notices from customs before. I didn't think it was a biggie, you know, but I really don't want to pay a million bucks. Can you do something about this? Okay. So, I mean, the stories go on and on. So this poor schmuck with his motorcycle is a two-year case. FDA is yelling at him. CPSC is yelling at him. Customs is yelling at him. And there's criminal convictions potentially. So talk about liability. If you kill a kid, if you make a kid choke on your freaking handlebar for your motorcycle and God forbid kill him, you don't think there's a criminal implication for that? Absolutely. So, you know, you have three agencies really pissed off and it took a long time to get everybody off their ledge and okay with this guy. And then he decided, you know what? Buying from a U.S. distributor wasn't so bad after all. Why did I do this whole importing thing? What's the point of all this? Yeah. I Bad, mean, right? you, you could probably cut, just you going around talking to people could cut down imports 30%. <laughs> you know, honestly, most people don't want to hear this, but honestly, if I ran customs, everyone would hate me because I would force companies prior to importation to take a test because most people just don't understand the ginormous liability that they have when they become an importer. It's really easy. You get a U.S. customs broker, and now if you have de minimis, if you have lower than $800 value importations, and you say they're for personal use, you have no entry requirement. If it's under $2,500 for commercial use, it's informal. It's not a big deal. So, I mean, low value importers really get away with all sorts of murder because they just don't know the difference. They don't take the time to be educated. And they don't realize all that crazy liability that exists. Through the door. And you're like... Oh, you're like, oh, you're. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. In a lot of instances, we wear superhero capes and we help a lot of people that get away with doing things wrong for quite some time after we help fix them and do it right. Because there, there are millions of importations every year and trillions of dollars worth of goods imported. So there's so much coming into the country 
how much can customs inspect and vet? The, the worst offenders come through international mail sources, like your DHLs, your UPSs, your USPSs. The, the mail sources where there you have consolidated shipments of such low value, that's where you have your worst offenders. Because the bigger companies that are actually doing things, you would hope are doing things right. And they have compliance departments that do things right. But it's the small guys that scare me the most because they have a lot of liability and we see people that import using their own social security numbers with personal liability. I'm like, I should never know your social security number this easily. This should never happen. A lot of really, really silly mistakes in our world for people just not doing their homework and not having the right people having their back when they're starting out on this crazy importing venture. They think it's easy. Anybody can do it. It's not that big of a deal. get millions and millions of dollars i mean we're fighting a lot right now so the goal ultimately is to fight them administratively but we have some in the court of international trade right now that i think are we have some current ongoing cases that are pretty juicy that i can only talk yeah. a little bit about not a whole lot but at the end of the day we're we're seeing a new kind of customs aggression that we hadn't seen in the past where there are what are called enforce and protect act cases and to make a very long story as short as humanly possible, the idea behind this is, let's say you were an importer and you were a competitor and I didn't like you. And I was able to find out, or I believe that I know something bad about you and it's my suspicion. I do my own research and so on. I send an allegation to customs and I say, this guy, Ian, he's horrible. He has goods that are made in China. He's sending them via Malaysia, Thailand, pick a country, and importing them into the U.S. and not paying anti-dumping duties. Go after him. And customs does. Now, here's the best part, right? Then it's up to you, Ian, to prove that you're not a horrible bad guy. And the best, best part about it is my allegation is confidential. So you don't even get to see what you have to prove is not true. So I have a juicy allegation against you that's all sorts of confidential. You get a blacked out version that you can't see all of the juicy allegations. And now your job is to prove to customs that that allegation is BS. And you have two layers of administrative review before you can get to court. And only when you get to court can your lawyer see the confidential version of that to help fight the fact that it's not true. It's insane. So now we've had multiple. We have five plus of these cases ongoing at any given time. It's insane. And we've gone to court to then finally get to see the confidential version. So we're successful on one. But now the worst of it is we have one client that's involved in two different cases, a small importer, and the importations were the same time period, which is bad, the same manufacturer and customs wouldn't consolidate them. So now you're basically... I get to choose who I put out of business. And the worst and worst of it for me is U.S. Customs has the sexiest database of all. They get to see everybody who imports from this manufacturer, right? But I, as the bad guy alleger, like I get to tell on whoever, you know, I think you're a bad guy, Ian, so I get to tell on you. So I'm, well, let's pretend I'm the good guy telling on you, right? You're the bad guy. Fine. I get to choose who I want to be the bad guy. And if I tell customs, all right, Ian and his best friends, Ollie and Joe, are the bad guys, and they're all the importer bad guys, right? There could be a series of other people that are also importing. But if I didn't tell on them, they're not part of the allegation, right? So now I get to choose who I want to put out of business.
And best part about this is on top of all this, what we're now seeing in some limited instances is if you're losing one of those cases, customs can also assess penalty actions on top of that. So not only are you spending a gazillion dollars defending this, by the time you get to the court action where you can actually see the record, you're spending a whole lot of money. So it's like a confidential proceeding against you that you have to say, is it true? And there's the liability is just endless. It's between lawyers' fees, lack of importation privileges. I mean, ultimately, it's not like customs takes away your importing privileges, but they assume that everything you import is going to be subject to that higher rate of duty until you prove otherwise, which could take a year, two years. It's it's a nightmare. I, that's it is. I mean, and it's worse for the people who get chosen, and they may or may not be really guilty of something, and then they have to spend a whole lot of time proving that they're not. There's no insurance that I could ever tell you is going to be good enough, and I mean, the real the real realm in terms of protecting your business is utilizing what's called reasonable care. As an importer, your obligation, and I've got a sexy Bloomberg Law article on this, is using reasonable care. And to me, that would be my test. If you were an importer, you would have to read this article and take a short, you know, 10 question quiz in order to have the right to import because it's your job to know that your product isn't subject to anti-dumping. But my question and customs question, more importantly, is what did you do to come to that determination? What research did you do? What experts did you utilize? How did you do your homework in any meaningful way before you started to import? And unfortunately, most small guys and even some big guys, they don't have the right compliance team set up to answer these tough questions. Benefit from happening. How do, I, how do we get in touch with you? How do you help people prevent this from happening? <laughs> a lot of training and a lot of education. So we do a whole lot of customized trainings and webinars as well. So on our site, Diaz Trade Law, we've got a library bank of really amazing trainings for a really affordable price, I think, for the value that you get. And a lot of resources. We publish a lot of articles. We do a lot of writing in our firm because ultimately it's hard to keep in touch with so many federal government agencies that have ever-changing rules. And if you want to stay in the know as a business in an importing space, you have to stay in touch with a firm that's keeping you in the loop. We have a free blog, a free monthly newsletter. Our website has free resources and we have some free trainings and paid trainings and all of the above. So it's at the end of the day, in this particular world, you have to do your homework or this isn't a world for you. And you have to have the right people that have your back. You know, we, we've had interesting issues recently where we had to make one of our clients break up with their customs broker because the customs broker did not have their back, did not represent them properly. And we told our client, this is not a broker you should be in business with because this is somebody who's your forward face in front of U.S. Customs. And if they're not representing you well in front of Customs and not telling Customs the truth or not communicating with you effectively or not communicating with your counsel, like this is not a good broker to have. And in some instances that happens. Now Customs has a new rule where a broker has an obligation to tell on the importer. If the importer, for example, is you know, committing some sort of crazy act like money laundering or something that the broker knows about. But at the end of the day, it's a very strange importing space where everyone has to be looking out for their own interests and you really have to choose your business partners and service partners really wisely. 
got to take the time to understand who's got your back and how they're going to react if you have a situation where you could be in trouble. So I say when you're interviewing a broker, make sure they know your industry, make sure they understand, you know, how, like, we, I've also been an expert witness, for example, with importers and brokers fighting with each other, where the importer says, the broker should have told me, blah, 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 blah. What I see a lot of is an importer treating a customs broker as an external compliance department. Brokers are not paid to be a compliance department. They're paid as the travel agent for cargo. They help fill out the ancillary paperwork that's necessary for U.S. Customs to import your particular goods. That doesn't mean that they know every regulation under the sun and they're, they're, they should be citing it to you and giving you reports on whether or not you can or can't import something and filling out all your license applications for you. That's not the way life works. So teaching importers where their role is, where their lane is, and a broker where their lane is is important and also helping people understand their responsibilities. All of it is huge in our particular world. Seems a bit overwhelming. <laughs> it can be, but I mean, with the right team in place, like when we set up new consultations and new clients and, we, and somebody wants to do it the right way, if they come to us, we set up a classification database, written processes, like here's how we're going to do things. Here's the license you need. Here's a memo on exactly what we have to do and all the steps we're going to take. So when you want to import XYZ, this is what we're going to do first, second, third. This is what we're going to give your broker and this is who we're going to introduce you to and you're going to have an easy relationship. Then it's a smooth transaction. But, you know, typically it's just chaos. Corners here. Seems like, uh, wow. No, and a lot of people that try, ultimately, we've seen a lot of sob stories. So I've been importing for 40 years and nobody's bothered me and now Customs wants a million bucks from me and they're saying I'm doing XYZ wrong. You've been really lucky for 40 years. You, you just didn't get caught, but you weren't doing it right. So the other really fun part is Customs is using advanced technology. So Customs is using artificial intelligence, robotics, like all sorts of crazy things because they're doing advanced targeting. So Customs is getting smarter and smarter, utilizing better and better resources, which means like... It, you can't hide the way anybody used to hide. Now it's like you're gonna if you're gonna screw up and do things the wrong way, it's it's not a good business to be in to do that, especially in this day and age. So keeping on top of your game is going to be an important aspect. In the sh and then uh, Diaz trade law, you know where's the best place to follow? Perfect. I love LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn chick, so I'm happy to share my profile on LinkedIn and connect. So I, I share a lot of juicy intel and events and know-how and what's going on in the trade world. I share a lot via LinkedIn. So we're on LinkedIn and all the social media outlets. We have an Insta and Facebook and Twitter and so on. But I personally like LinkedIn. The show notes as well. Uh, Jennifer, this has been awesome. Thank you well, so much for telling us all these crazy stories about customs. <laughs> Sure. Lots of horrible, un unsuccess stories if people, unfortunately, don't get the right help at the right time. And lots of great success stories when people do. So we're happy to help people mitigate $4 million penalties down to 4000 bucks and all sorts of crazy solutions that we get. But somebody has to, A, realize that this particular law exists and there are specialized service providers. So we help fix a lot of other lawyers' messes, unfortunately, if they're not specialized and try in this particular area doesn't go very well. It's very nuanced and you really need somebody that knows what they're doing with these particular federal government agencies. So if you're importing or exporting, 
we're happy to be a resource for you at Diaz Trade Law. Awesome. Yeah, you've got a lot of valuable resources. We'll put that in the show notes. Put a link, cool. your link in, in the show notes. But Jennifer, thank you so much for being on True Law Stories. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you for taking Jennifer and I on your journey. It's been I and Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn more.